Good morning. So great to see you all here. Uh, I, I just I want to thank you guys for having me come, and it's just amazing. I've, I've watched the church grow over many, many years, and just where this community of believers uh, has come to, and just to see uh, what the Lord is doing. I had a chance to talk to a number of people this morning in between the meetings, and it's just phenomenal to hear what God's doing in so many of your lives. I want to talk this morning... Uh, the, the title of my message is The Most Unlikely, uh, and I guess it's, like, it's my autobiography. No. Uh, I want to talk about people that, you know, most of the time, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Oh, that's the right message. Okay. Uh, <laughs> is I have spent a good portion of my life disqualifying myself from doing the things that I think God's called me to do. I either am not educated properly. Um, in fact, every business I've ever been in, I've never been trained in that particular area of business. And I don't know if that's good news or bad news. It just is. And, and yet God, uh, in his graciousness, has always been kind enough to help me in that process. And so I want to talk about uh, some of the people in the Bible that I think were most unlikely people that did extraordinary things. In fact, what I realized is that I could take almost any story and look at anybody in the Bible and realize that they were really unlikely people to be doing works of the kingdom of God. And, uh, but I, wanna, I just want to bring a couple out, and then I'm going to just share a few stories of people that I know uh, that I think are really unlikely people to do some of those things, and yet God in his grace and kindness has uh, made it possible for them to have an impact on, in the areas that God's wanted them to have an impact in. And I want to talk this morning, uh, do, I mean, most of us do any... Most of us know the story of Rahab, right, in Joshua chapter 2, that uh, they were, Joshua was getting ready to take the land, and so he sent out a group of spies, and he sent them out in groups of two, and one of the uh, two, group, two spies that went to uh, the city of Jericho, they ended up in a brothel of all places to do God's work. Not sure how that works, but I was wondering, first of all, what are the spies doing in the brothel? Uh, but I realized that it was all part of God's plan for these spies to meet Rahab and to actually help in, um, you know, designing the plans or fulfilling the plans that God had for Israel to take that city. And so we see Rahab, who's a prostitute. And I mean, I know, does it ever bother you that, that Rahab's mentioned in the Bible many, many times? Not a couple. She's mentioned in James. She's mentioned in Hebrew. She's mentioned in Matthew. She's actually part of the lineage of Jesus. And I think it's always fascinating to me that Jesus has no problem with where we come from. You ever notice that? Like, you know, I, I, I can almost kind of hear him standing before the Father on a daily basis, you know, because he's our advocate. He's always kind of pleading our case to the Father when we're not quite there yet. He's always saying, oh, well, just give him one more, Father, give him one more chance, one more chance. He's going to do something really great. I just know he is. And you can almost imagine the Father saying, yeah, right, Jesus. But he's for you. 
and he was for Rahab. And so she hides the, she hides the two spies there and then lets them down, you know, through this rope. They escape. They come and conquer, conquer Jericho. But here's the st- a little bit of the story behind it. I don't know if you know this, but, you know, Rahab uh, actually married one of those two spies. Right? So she goes from a prostitute to a princess. She became Israeli uh, royalty, which is kind of an amazing story if you think about it, that, that, the, that God would do that. To know that God was watching over all the people, even though he loved Israel and still loves Israel, believe me, um, he's always looking for us wherever we are. I think that there's destiny on all of our lives. We know the story. She ends up rescuing these guys. But what what I like is in Hebrews, it talks about Rahab, and it talks about what kind of the great faith she had. Well, I don't see her having much faith at all. I see her making a deal with the two spies so she can save her family, right? And then she, you know, under conviction from God, apparently, she lies to the king, right, to get these guys off the hook and they get out of town. So I just think it's amazing the people that God uses. And God's looking to use people, you know, like you and I, to do the work of the kingdom. I met a young lady when I was in Brazil and she came up to me and she was crying and, and kind of, she was really kind of sobbing and I said, what's, what's the problem? And she said, well, she said, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor's wife in my church. And, uh, and I looked at her and I said, so? And she said, well, you know, and she just started crying and all of a sudden the Lord just spoke to me and said, tell her that she is a pastor to the lost. So I started talking to her a little bit, and I told her, you're a pastor to the lost. The reason that you're uncomfortable in the place that you're at right now is because God has a completely different call on your life than what society would say you should be. Just because you married a pastor doesn't mean that you have to act like a pastor's wife. You can take a direction that God's taking you to. And she felt like she was disappointing the people in the church. I said, listen, you just need to get outside of the church. You need to start talking. Well, it turns out that she came from a background of prostitution herself. And she said, well, I can talk to people on the streets. I'm really good at talking to people on the streets. I'm practically an expert at talking to people on the streets. I know how to negotiate things. I know how to talk about things. I know how to lie about things because I know how they lie. And she's had this extraordinary thing in her community uh, over the last couple of years where she's just led many, 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 many people to Christ and she's starting to really impact her local community and now all the local churches, so typical, all the local churches are inviting her to come and she's going, but I'm not qualified to do this. And I said, just go and do it. Just go and do it. I said, God's opening these doors for you. So now she's training people how to go out on the streets just in your everyday life. And I know we talk about these things all the time, but she's seeing hundreds of people saved. And now all these churches are opening their doors to somebody they wouldn't ordinarily even really, she's a nice lady, but I mean, they're not gonna like open their whole congregation up to let her teach and train. But God had a way of making a way for her to do it. She's a most unlikely. She'd be the first one to tell you, I just, I don't know what I'm doing here. But God has made a way for me to, to, to do these things. If you look at Gideon in, in uh, Judges chapter 6, we, you know the story of Gideon, right? The man full of faith. 
right? God finds Gideon in a wine press grinding grain, right? He's hiding out. Because the Midianites are about to, to again come in and ravage all of Israel. And the Spirit of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, Oh, mighty warrior. He's hiding out in this wine press. And he goes, you must not know who I am. Because there's 12 tribes in Israel, and my tribe is the least of the 12 tribes. And my family in my tribe is the least of all families in my tribe. And I am the least in my family. And God says, you are the perfect guy to do the job that I need done. You are the biggest loser. He didn't say that, but that's what he's really saying. He says, the reason I chose you is because the victory that's going to occur through your life, through your direction, through your, you know, can you imagine taking the biggest loser in your community and he's saying, okay, we're going to wipe out the Midianites. We're going to wipe out their army of 130,000. And we're going to do it with 300 guys because, you know, 32,000 is too many, then 22,000 is too many, and then we get down to 300. But what happens? The greatest victory in all of Israel's history happened at that moment in time. They didn't have one casualty. He's the biggest loser. But he's also the biggest winner. The reason they tell the stories is to show the limitations in our own personal life, who we are as a person, who we are, the fears that control us, the, the, the problems that control our lives, and yet under the anointing, under the blessing, and under the, uh, the, the ministry of God's Spirit through your life, you can do extraordinary things, even though you really don't think you can do it. And oftentimes we always think it has to be something like, I want to be an evangelist or I want to be a, I want to be a pastor teacher. I want to do this. And I'm telling you, God will use you wherever you are. And God has placed you in a place to do extraordinary things. My son-in-law is a very, very quiet young man. And yet he, uh, he, he decided that he, he came to me one day and he said, you know, I know this sounds crazy, Blaine, but I think, I think God wants me to coach this girl's softball team because I think he wants to use me in that particular area. And I thought about it. I thought, okay, so why not? Why not be an extraordinary softball coach? I just thought he was going to become an extraordinary coach. And over a five-year period, he took a group of young ladies that played softball. In that five-year period, he trained them up. And in our country, it's really important to get scholarship money to go to college because it's expensive like it is here. He had 27 girls come through his program over that five-year period. All 27 girls, which he prayed with, where do you want to go to school? How do you want to get there? What can I do to help you? He prays for these girls. All 27 of them ended up playing for Division I schools, which are the top schools in the nation. I mean like Notre Dame, and I mean like Princeton, and I mean like Harvard, and I mean like these are all the who's who's of schools. These girls are all there. They call him, talk to him all the time because they're having an extraordinary... Mike, they say, Mike, I'd never been in this college if it wasn't for you, if you wouldn't have taken the time to pray for me, to talk to me. He'd talk to the families. He's the most unlikely to end up be preaching from a stage, but you put him on a softball field, they have guys that are wanting him to do training stuff all over the country because they don't know how it is that he can actually get all these girls these scholarships. It's God. 
It's God with the young man who just said, you know what, God, I think this is where I fit in the, in the very kingdom of God. So if you'll, if you'll work with me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. They went to a national championship game. They didn't win the national championship. They came in second. They lost to the, you know, the team that was number one in the nation. I had to laugh because he, had all, he, said, he says to the coach on the other team, congratulates them all. He says, would it be okay if we prayed for your girls? So all standing out in the middle, you know, this is like a national televised thing. He's out in the middle of things, laying hands on these young girls, blessing them all, and blessing the girls on the other team, and a bunch of the girls on the other team. The Spirit of God fell on them in this circle, and they just started sobbing openly. And then they got done, they said, what was that all about? I don't know, I don't cry like that. It's the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you to do great things to do great things in this time. So if you're Gideon, get over your fears. If you're Jonah, obey the Lord. If you're going to be the people of God, he's just looking for you to say yes to him. It doesn't matter what your, what your history is, what your background is. Jesus is not embarrassed by your lineage. In fact, he proclaims it in the word. He was not embarrassed that, that uh, Rahab was part of the lineage of Jesus. Do you get it? It's not where you, you know, he's not, he's always in front of the father pleading your case and saying, oh my gosh, Rahab the prostitute is in. She's with us now. It's awesome, father. It's going to be a great thing that happens. And that's where he is with you. He's, he's your cheerleader. He's your greatest advocate. He doesn't, it doesn't matter where you came from or what your history is or whether you've been in drugs or whether you've been in alcohol or whether you've just been a great student someplace or if you've had a good background or a bad background. He loves it all. He's standing before the Father. Can you picture him standing before the Father? And he says, oh, Father, guess what? Billy Joe came into the kingdom today. You know, the guy who was a pedophile? He got saved. He got delivered. He got set free. And I have a plan for his life to change the lives of the people around him. Do you get it? He's for you. He's on you. He's with you. And what about that wonderful woman in John chapter 4? We see Jesus, you know. This is fascinating to me. It's just so Jesus. Jesus goes to a city called Sychar in John chapter 4. He goes to a place, he goes to a well. He shouldn't be at the well, number one. He shouldn't be with the woman, number two. But the father, I believe, directed him to go there to go find one woman. Why was that one woman so important? Well, we know the story. Jesus kind of unveils her whole life. You've had five husbands, you're disqualified. And the guy you're living with now isn't your husband, and Jesus speaks the secrets of her heart. She goes back to her family. She leads her five sisters to Christ. She leads her two sons to Christ. Jesus stays in the community two more days. You know what the name Sychar means? They thought it wasn't even a real city. But they realized after, after an archaeological dig that it really was a city. The city's name really means, Sychar really means end of the road, drunkard, or liar. So how would you like to be the least of the least in, a city, in that kind of a city? And yet Jesus makes a special trip to go and find that one woman. Why was that important? Well, we don't know the story until after the fact. The fact is, her name was Fotini. The fact is, 
is that she converted her whole family, then went to Northern Africa. Well, then she joined John's community of believers. She was at Pentecost. After Pentecost, she goes to Northern Africa with a troop, with an entourage of people that got saved under her personal ministry. And she became a prolific evangelist in Northern Africa. In fact, it's estimated now, historically, it's estimated now that she probably had more converts under her ministry than Peter, James, and John combined. And you didn't even know her name. Do you get it? Fotini has a visitation from Jesus, and Jesus tells her to go to Rome and speak to the emperor. So she, she gets on a boat, takes her entourage with her. She goes to Rome. She meets with Nero in his palace after she'd been preaching on the streets. He had already heard about her. He had heard about her in North Africa, and he was in distress because she was, he was, she was messing things up for the Roman Empire. She goes and meets with Nero, and he says, oh, you must be here so you can denounce the Nazarene. And she laughs in his face and says, no, I'm here to change your, your heart. Well, he was a little frustrated by it, so he talks to his daughter and tells his daughter, let's have a banquet, and we're going to bring all these fine linens and gold and food and all this stuff into the, in, in, in this room, and we're going to bring Fotini in. Your job, he's saying to his daughter, your job is to convince her to, to deny the Nazarene. So she goes into the party. She meets the, the daughter of Nero, gives her a big hug. And she ends up getting saved and her hundred handmaidens. And they take all of this gold and silver and linens and food and they go out and distribute it to the poor. It made Nero so mad that he throws her in jail with her whole entourage. And then over the next two to three years in jail, people are swarming the jail because they want to know who this woman is because people are getting healed and set free and getting saved in that particular community. As it turns out, it makes Nero so mad that he ends up actually killing all the other people in the entourage, her sons, her sisters, and all the other people that were with Fotini during that time. And she's crying out to God, oh God, why didn't you let me be a martyr? She's crying because she wasn't a martyr. She meets with Nero again. He still has a hardened heart. He throws her, guess where? <laughs> he throws her in an empty well and she's there for a number of days and she's crying out to God. Please let me die. Please let me die. Please let me die. So where she started out at the well, she ends up in a well. I just thought it was kind of humorous the way God does those things. She's somebody that you would never expect. It's the story that's not told in the Bible. And I wonder, how many of those people are there? I wonder about the Gadarene demoniac himself. Right? You know, Jesus goes all, across, goes all the way across the Sea of Galilee to Gentile part of the country and meets up with one guy, and he's a demoniac. He delivers the man, disrupts the whole community, and then goes home. I'm thinking, why did he do that? Jesus gives him one simple instruction. Go home and tell your family what the Lord has done for you. Right? That's what it says in Scripture. And he disobeys. The first time God gives him instruction, Jesus gives him instruction, he disobeys. He goes back and starts telling everybody in the community. And it says the people were amazed because they knew the devastation. They knew the captivity. They knew the depravity that was in this man's life. And they knew that in a moment in time, Jesus changes the man's life. Takes him out of captivity, literal captivity, 
and brings him into a life with God. So it doesn't matter where you've been or what your history is or what you've done before. He's looking for you. He wants you to be part of what he's doing in this age. There's been no greater time in all of history to walk with God than now, I don't think. We have more opportunity. We're seeing more outpouring of the Spirit. We're seeing more healing than ever. We make the first century church look like they didn't know what they were doing. You think I'm kidding. That's what's ahead for you. There's a uh, small church in uh, an area called San Juan Capistrano, very close to where I live in Southern California, a church of about 200 people. There were two guys there that were in this church, and one guy was a barber, the other guy was a businessman, and they were going to Pakistan on a regular basis. Nobody knew they were doing it. It wasn't like some big, you know, they weren't on social media. Oh, look at what we're doing, building. You know, they're just quietly doing this thing that God told them to do, to go to Pakistan and build these little schools and build these, this housing for people that needed housing in Pakistan. The Christian community in Pakistan is being persecuted all the time. And they'd been going there for 10 years. And finally, they get a call. One day after 10 years, they get a phone call from the four pastors they worked with in Pakistan. And they said, look at there's a brickyard that the government is shutting down. And it's, being man it's been manned by Christian slaves now for a number of years. But the atrocities in this brickyard have been so bad with the, the moms and dads and the whole, all the families are there. 4,500 Christians persecuted, being beaten, all kinds of really horrible things in this community. And they said, we have an opportunity. The pastor said to these, young, these two guys, we have an opportunity. They weren't young. Two guys, we can buy the 4,500 slaves that are in this particular brickyard for $96,000. So they go to their tiny little church and they share this message with the tiny little church. And then one offering, they raise $120,000. And they send the guys to Pakistan. So they go to Pakistan, and they're trying to set up this meeting to meet with the guy who owns the brickyard. And it's not really good. They're supposed to meet in this kind of, like, safe area, but he wants to meet in this kind of remote area, and it's really dark. So they walk into the meeting with the four pastors, these two guys and the four pastors. And when they get in there, they're held at gunpoint by the, ta uh, the Taliban, which they use to, like, enforce things in that part of the country. They got guns to their heads. And the guy says, I've changed my mind. The, the guy who owned the brickyard, he says, I've changed my mind. The price is now like $300,000. And one of the guys there felt the Holy Spirit come on him. The older guy, 72, uh, the business guy. And he says to the man, he says to the owner, well, we came all this way. A deal's a deal. And you're going to sell us those people for the $96,000 because you have to answer to God the way you've lived your life. Oh, and by the way, I know you have a heart condition. We'd like to pray for it because God's going to heal that. Right? Pretty cool story. I'm thinking, dude, what were you thinking? Right? I don't know what I was thinking. I just like, I'd lost my mind there for a minute. All of a sudden, I feel this incredible boldness on me. I'm anointing the Holy Spirit. I go up, I'm talking to this guy. I'm just telling this guy, God's going to judge you for what you're doing. You better take care of business the way you said you would. So he agrees to it. They pray for the guy. The guy gets healed. Amazing story. <laughs> and then the Christian community there absorbs all 4,500 slaves 
into households all over Pakistan. The Christian community just raised up. They moved people in. They moved them out all in one day. So they're having a huge celebration, right? The thousands and thousands of people at this celebration. And these two guys, the one guy is preaching. He's never preached before. It's the barber. He's preaching in front of this whole crowd. And, and like, he's like, what am I doing here? I'm in front of thousands. I've never even done this before. And a Muslim cleric in the crowd stands up and interrupts the meeting and he turns to the crowd and he says, these men are from the most high God. You need to listen to them. He gets saved that night and he's led thousands and thousands of people. I think it's been over 10,000 people he's led to Christ in just about the last year. That's what's in you. That's what's in you. He's looking for you. God is looking for you. He's looking for you to do, to find your destiny. Lots of you, God has spoken to you. And you. And you. And you. And you. He's had a, he has a destiny for you. He has a plan for your life. He has a place for you to serve. He has a place for you to minister. You're not here to just show up and worship the Lord. Worship the Lord in your everyday life. Whatever you do, do it the best that you possibly can. If you're serving in a restaurant, be the best server in the restaurant. If you're an accountant, be the best accountant that you can possibly be. Wherever you are, you ought to be the best. You ought to be the breath of God in the community that God's had you. Maybe before you quit your job, maybe you ought to pray. You know, you're always praying, oh, God, get me another job. I hate this job. What happens if you start asking God, maybe I need to stay here. God, what do I need to do to change the atmosphere, to change the climate, to change the people in this community? Rather than running away, maybe we need to stay. Just saying. We should be the biggest tippers at every restaurant that we go to. Always. Don't give them a track. Don't try to lead them to Jesus. Just tip them big. And go back to that restaurant if you like it. Because they'll start talking to you. They'll want to serve you every time you show up. It's God's way. Because we're all the most unlikely people. Aren't we? The fact that you're even here is pretty an un unlikely thing. God, you know what? You think the parable of the pearl of great price is about you finding Jesus. It's not. It's about Jesus finding you. You're the pearl. You're the pearl. You're the pearl of great price. And he laid down his life to have you come into relationship with him because he just loves you so much. You're people of destiny. This is a church of destiny. You need to wake those things up. You need to see those words that God's spoken over your life and refresh them in your mind and say, yes, I am going to do that. I don't know how I'm going to get there. That's way bigger than anything I could ever do. I don't know how that could happen, but I believe that God can do that in your life. I have huge faith for that. Huge faith for that. I have a young man that I know. He's, he was 24 years old. He married this uh, girl from the Philippines, and he went back to meet their family, and, and he gets to this uh, island of Cebu, and he's walking through a marketplace. The first day he's there, he's walking through a marketplace. And in the marketplace, there's five young girls in cages for sale. Like four, five, seven years old, nine years old, all under like 12. 
and they're for sale. And he says, how much are they? A thousand bucks each. So he goes back to his bank, he calls home, he gets money wired over to him, like all the money he had. He buys the five girls, goes to the local authorities and creates a massive storm in the local community. Because it turns out that the local officials are working with the traffickers to sell the girls because they're getting a break on the deal. They're getting money on the deal. He shames them. He stays for a month. And he shames the local government into giving him 20 acres of land for this first deal, 20 acres of land, and, and he has to be assured that he can get at least, you know, two, three hundred of these girls in this first trade. And they said, that's fine, but you've got to go raise the money for the building. So anyway, he came home. He told me the whole story. And, and I, uh, with a whole group of people, we were able to raise the money so we could build the shelter for the girls. And the first 200 girls went in and are in the shelter now. They're safe and they're guaranteed by the government that they'll be trained so they can work when they leave at 18 years old so they don't have to go into prostitution or they don't have to go into some other horrible line of work. They have skills. The government will respond if we start being Christian. Who's going to stop the traffic girls and the traffic boys in this community? Who's going to stop? Who's going to break, break the power of the drugs that are over this community and the alcohol that's in this community. Who's going to do it? Who's God going to do? He's going to raise up somebody. Why not you? Why not now? You may think you're unlikely, but that's not the way God sees you. He sees you as the most likely person to do the job that he's helped design, put in your heart. Many of you had words from God and you've abandoned them. Like, oh, that couldn't have been the Lord. That's way too big. And I tell you that God has a destiny on you. And your destiny is not to just sit here on Sunday mornings. Your destiny is what, what are you going to do with the other six days of the week? Not only should you be the best employee, you should be the most empowered employee and have the greatest voice because the Spirit of God rests on you. The very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. People, wake up and be who God wants you to be because He wants greatness out coming out of your life. He wants quiet, humble confidence to say, that's not right, and we're going to change that. It's not enough to just pray about those things. You have to be active in those things. God's calling you this morning. God's speaking to you this morning. I can see the Spirit of God on people all over the auditorium. You're saying, you're right. This is what I've been crying out for for so long. I'm giving you permission to be great. John and Debbie are giving you permission to be great in the kingdom of God. Don't try and take somebody else's anointing. Not everybody's called to do this or to lead a church. Take the place that God has you. I don't care whether you're a barber or whether you're a hairdresser or whether you're what you're doing. Take the place that God's given you for that moment so that the moment that you come into the place of business where you are or the school that you go to, they know there's something different about your life, that there's destiny on your life. You may think you're the most unlikely, but you're the most likely to God. You're the Gideons of God. You're the Rahabs of God. You're the Jonas of God.
You're the Pauls of God, the, mur- the man who murdered Christians, defiled Christians, beat Christians, said bad things about Christians, who became the greatest theologian in the whole New Testament. Well, maybe John, but it's a toss-up. Take your place. Grab your destiny. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too smart. You're not too dumb. You're not too thin. You're not too fat. This is all he's got to work with. Say that again. This is all he's got to work with. That's good news. It wasn't an accident that you're here today. It wasn't an accident that you're in the kingdom. You didn't sneak in the back door. He's going, come, 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 come. So dial up those words that God spoke over your life. You thought, that can't be the Lord. Who was that person prophesying over me? What was that dream the Lord gave me about this? What was the Lord thinking when he spoke this to me? I can't do that. You see, when you're doing the works of God, they're always bigger than you. And if they aren't, you're not dreaming big enough. You got to dream for big stuff. Ooh. And then come to the realization, unless God puts this thing together, I, I just, it's just not going to happen. So I'm calling out your destinies today. Because I think for some of you, this is going to be a defining moment for the rest of your life. I'm not bragging about that. I just think it is. I think the Lord gave me this message for this church this morning. I'm pretty cl- it's pretty clear in my heart. You can change this place. You can change the world. You can change your jobs. You can change the places. Uh, you can change things. The anointing of God is on you. You're lighting up wherever you go. And if you aren't, you should be. Turn to the person to your right and say, you're, you're beginning to shine. No, that's the left, not the right. (laughs) That's the other, the other right. You're beginning to shine because the glory of God is on your life. That's why how you can walk into a situation and people don't know why they're attracted to you. And it should be because there's grace on every word that you say. There's grace on every action that you act. There's grace on every generosity, work of generosity that you produce. Because the glory, you know, in Colossians it says that we're the hope of God's glory to be distributed in this world. That's what this is all about. That the glory of God would shine out and be delivered and set free through your life into the lives of other people. Amen? Let's stand.